Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to give a little update before we get started on a conversation we had yesterday. Uh, we talked with Kimbrielle Kelly, who is one of three reporters who has been writing about homicides and homicide investigations across the country. A lot of their work has focused right here in the city of Detroit, where they found that homicide detectives take on more cases per year, eight, uh, than they do in other cities. And there is some research that suggests uh, that is too many in order to be able to clear the number of homicides you would like to clear. Uh, after we talked with Kim Briel yesterday, uh, the Washington Post reported that here in Detroit, uh, Chief of Police uh, James Craig has said he is going to add detectives to the homicide unit, not by hiring more, but by moving people around to focus, especially on homicides that have not been solved in two years or more. So that is good news here in the city of Detroit. And uh, we thank Kimberly or Kimbrielle Kelly uh, for coming on with us yesterday to talk about this. Uh, we will continue to talk about homicide in the city, how it is being solved in the future. But right now, let's talk about yesterday when President Trump delivered his second speech to the United Nations, and it was notable for a few unexpected reasons. Chief among them, the, the Assembly Council laughed at Trump after he said his two years as president have made him one of the most successful presidents in American history. Here's a clip from that moment. In less than two years, my administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. America's so true. didn't expect that reaction, but that's okay. Trump also spent much of his speech railing against globalism and migration of any sort. He also took a harsh tone toward Iran and Venezuela, and he had a markedly positive shift in tone toward North Korea's Kim Jong-un, whom he once called Rocket Man uh, before the council last year. Joining us now to talk a little more about the president's appearance before the United Nations is Peter Trumbor. He's a professor of political science at Oakland University. Peter, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning, Stephen. Yeah, so what stood out in the president's speech to you? Well, besides the laughter. <laughs> well, let me, let's start with that because it's an interesting moment. Um, Donald Trump has been saying off and on since the 1980s that the rest of the world is laughing at the United States. And, you know, it was bound to be true at some point. It just so happens to be true when he's president. Yeah. It is a meaningful moment, not just because the optics are so unpleasant, but because it says something bigger about this larger question that we're going to talk about this morning, and that is the standing of the United States. What, um, at what point has the United States essentially relinquished a lot of what made us um, a meaningful leader in the international community? Mm -hmm. Um, the extent to which the, the president of the United States and by extension the United States itself no longer commands the kind of respect that, that American presidents once did, uh, no longer commands the kind of authority that American presidents and by extension the United States once commanded or could expect, I think that's really meaningful. And we see all kinds of things happening both at the UN yesterday and surrounding it um, with the Europeans and, uh, and Russia 
um, essentially working around the U.S. on to, to keep the Iran nuclear deal going, with uh, China asserting itself in, in taking on a bigger leadership position within the United Nations itself, including increasing its donations to the organization at the very moment when President Trump says the United States is going to do less. I think what we are seeing is something that, that I think is unexpected, and that is uh, the President of the United States uh, willfully stepping back from a, pos a position of global leadership at the very moment that he's claiming that we are a stronger leader than ever before. Yeah. Uh, th this president, uh, I, I think, is notable for misunderstanding, and maybe that's a very generous description, uh, the complexities of uh, international diplomacy, of the, the way in which you assert uh, leadership uh, on the globe. Talk about the content of the speech he gave yesterday in that context. Uh, is he saying things that are just different from what other presidents have said, or is he saying things that reflect an ignorance of what the United States' role is on the globe and uh, how other countries respond to it? Right. So I'd say the answer to those to that to those questions is is yes to both. Um, he's saying things that that are different, uh, and he's saying things out loud, not necessarily that that prior American presidents didn't, didn't grumble about, that, for example, the U.S. does too much, that pays too much into the U.N., that the U.N. is not sufficiently receptive to American interests any longer. Uh, that's been a longstanding complaint. If you go back to the 1990s, you remember there was a period where the United States stopped paying its dues to the United Nations. This is when Jesse Helms was uh, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and he was a very strong opponent of the U.N. and believed that it was a corrupt institution that worked against U.S. interests, and he was unwilling to see Congress fund the thing. Uh, that led to a negotiation between the, the U.N. leadership and the United States, and, and we got the relationship back on track. Um, the United States has always been willing to pay into, uh, and significantly more than other countries, and for example, the U.N. peacekeeping funds, because mm -hmm. frankly, if the U.N. is doing that kind of thing, then we're not. Uh, this is something President Trump doesn't want to do. Um, so in some regards, right, he is, he's saying out loud and then acting on things that, that other presidents and other administrations have maybe grumbled about, but haven't walked away from, you know, this idea that that being part of these global institutions and leading them, you know, being inside them and agreeing to abide by their terms gives the United States a certain level of, of persuasive power, what we call soft power, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You see, to here's the strongest country in the world. We are willing to essentially tie our own hands to a degree inside these organizations. That gives other countries confidence that we can be trusted. Uh, it... it it, it creates the impression that, that we are not a, a power to be feared, but rather one that can be counted upon to, to help maintain the global status quo and things like that. So on the one level, yes, he's saying things that are different. Uh, on the other level, he, he frankly doesn't understand the way that modern international politics works. He doesn't understand America's role in the world in the, in the latter 20th and into the 21st century. He just doesn't. He has a worldview when it comes to international politics that's locked in this weird combination of sort of 1930s um, great power conflict sort of a worldview and 1980s sort of economic thinking. You know, he's, he's stuck in these places, and that doesn't allow him to view the world as anything other than in purely zero-sum winners and losers transactional terms. Yeah. And as far as he's concerned, if the United States is not winning, we are losing.
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Peter Trumbor. He's a professor of political science at Oakland University. We are talking about President Trump's second speech to the United Nations, uh, which took place yesterday. Chief, among the notable things in that speech was the fact that the Assembly Council laughed at Trump after he said his two years as president have made him the most successful president in American history. Did you watch the speech? Did you watch the coverage of the speech afterward? What did you think of world leaders sitting and snickering at the president of the United States? Is this something that damages our role as a leader on the globe? Is it something that damages the things that we're trying to do across the globe? Uh, Or do you think that President uh, Trump is uh, somebody who is approaching these things differently with a different outcome in mind and that it's okay if other people are laughing? He's doing things that will get us to the space that we need to be in. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Peter, I want to talk specifically about North Korea. Sure. Uh, The president's defenders are now saying that, that his approach to the, the crisis or the, the, the relationships on the Korean Peninsula have moved those two countries, North and South Korea, closer to uh, a productive relationship than they have ever been uh, since, since uh, they split. Um, is that true? And if that is true, put, uh, put the, co- the, the president's comments about Kim Jong-un, who he's made fun of in the past, but yesterday spoke uh, more right. diplomatically about what's he up to there. So I, th- I think there's something to this idea that that n- North and South Korea moving closer together um, as a reaction to the belligerence of Donald Trump a year ago. I think that that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I don't think that President Trump has any more sophisticated understanding of those dynamics beyond that that Kim Jong-un has flattered him and has and that President Moon of South Korea uh, yesterday declared that that ultimately only Donald Trump can solve the problems of the Korean Peninsula. You know, Trump responds to that kind of flattery. And and we see that across the board. And and what he what he bristles against is is any kind of criticism. What What I really think is happening with the president is that he is responding the way he always has. And that is when people stroke his ego and, and pump him up and make him look more successful or more um, leaderly, I mm-hmm. suppose, mm-hmm. than perhaps he actually is, you know, he, he responds uh, very favorably to that. But, you know, let's take a look at what North Korea has actually agreed to do so far. And, and has it really um, broken a lot of new ground? They, uh, in the past, had promised to denuclearize. They had invited in international inspectors and done the whole thing. Um, and then, of course, that all breaks down. You know, what have they done at this point? Well, they've, they've decommissioned some testing facilities. They've promised to decommission others. And they've said they're willing to allow inspectors to come in and take a look at some things. But we're not going to know the extent to which they're actually committed to that for some time. You know, the, it's, the proof is going to be in the performance. Yeah, And if... The track record of North Korea is one of, of making promises and then 
sort of playing a lot of, uh, uh, of sort of slow dribble, right, slow ball, uh, run the clock out, and then at some point to go back to their, their past behavior. Um, that said, would North Korea like to see their economy uh, improve? Absolutely, right? The, they are an economic basket case that is, that is kept afloat by China. Um, would moving closer to South Korea make that possible? Sure. Uh, but I don't think that North Korea in, in any way, shape, or form is, is seriously thinking about making the kinds of, of political and economic moves that would allow it to become, say, a new Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, what about Iran? I mean, he has a kind of similar approach to that country, which is, let's just be tougher. Let's just uh, talk tougher. Let's let's enact policies right. that will punish the regime in, in that country, and it'll move them closer to where we want to be. Is it working there? Uh, I would say no, and I would say it's, it's not working because we have no one who's going to work with us on that kind of plan at this point. Uh, that sort of, of get-tough policy, the sort of a very harsh and restrictive sanctions regime and uh, sort of political limitations on, on, uh, on Iran, all of that works when you've got the rest of the meaningful actors in the game on your side. When the other players are with you, that works. If the Europeans are breaking ranks and if the Russians are breaking ranks, in such a way as, as to essentially undercut the ability to, by itself, impose meaningful sanctions on Iran, uh, in the interests of maintaining the integrity of the agreement that they're still all committed to, and that Iran, by all, uh, uh, by all reports right now, is still uh, abiding by, then, then U.S. opposition has become less and less, yeah. less, and less meaningful. So this is, this is the, the tyranny of, of economic sanctions. Economic sanctions, any kind of sanction system, always works best when you have lots of people helping you do it. It's the very rare country that can unilaterally impose sanctions in such a way as to be potent enough to bring about a change in the behavior of the target. And I think Iran's going to be no different. You know, as long as other key players are willing to work with Iran, then then the United States is just, you know, shouting into the wind. Yeah. Uh, what about the president himself and how he might respond to the way the assembly has responded to him yesterday. This idea of laughing at Donald Trump, I think uh, as a person, that's probably one of the most wounding things that ever happens to him. Not somebody insulting him, but somebody not taking him seriously and, right, exactly. and laughing in his face. Uh, you could see in that clip that we played, if you watch the video, you can see a, a, a sort of disconcerting response from him on his face mm -hmm. when that happens. He didn't like that. No, he's, you know, it clearly threw him off. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and he was surprised. He was taken aback by it. Now, I think the problem is, is that, he's, that his speechwriter, whoever it was for yesterday's occasion, did him no favors yes. by throwing into a speech before the assembled sort of leaders of the world standard campaign rally language. Mm -hmm. That just, it, it may, that kind of boasting makes no sense in that context. It's not the in that context, that. Right, exactly. Um, and his, his ego is incredibly fragile. Um, later in the day, he came out and said, well, that was intended to be a laugh line, so, you know, whatever. Um, I think the reality is, is that he was wounded, and, and his ego being the fragile thing that he is, um, that it is, I think, uh, uh, that, I think it certainly hurt. The question is, can he, it's one of those things where he can't make it better by saying anything else. Mm -hmm. So, 
this kind of attempt to sort of laugh it off as in, well, I was intending for them to laugh at that line, I think is the best he's going to do. And I, I think he's going to move on uh, very quickly to to other things. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Phil in Westland. Phil, welcome to Detroit Today. This is calling in regard to the professor discussing the United Nations relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm just a truck driver, and, you know, I listened to the speech yesterday or parts of it. Mm-hmm. And just hearing him say that we have to tie our hands so that people in the U.N. can trust us, it's just, it's just the whole, this whole problem is just, it's illogical for the average person to hear that and take you guys seriously. Okay. People challenge the president. Uh, illogical in what way? In a logical sense, that why would you tie your hands? How does that show? Okay, so it's okay to show that we uh, we can be trusted, but we don't have any will to do anything that's for the benefit of our country. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't understand it. It's like it doesn't make sense to me. Okay, Phil, I I appreciate you listening. I also appreciate the call uh, and and the challenge to us, Peter. Uh, why why is that the way? To respond, why not respond with strength is w- right. what I suspect Phil is, is is getting at there. Look, that's an absolutely fair question because of the it's not obvious why you would do this. So so st- step back and, and sort of think about it in this way, right? The United States um, is by far the most powerful country on earth, right? I think we spend something like uh, on on our military, we spend something like more than the next seven countries combined. Uh, well, almost two and a half, close to three times as much as China spends, which is our nearest competitor. We have unmatched military capability. And a country like that, with that kind of power, represents a very real threat to the rest of the world. So if you're the rest of the world, you have to ask yourselves, what's, what's the best way, what's the easiest way to guarantee our own security? You know, back in the old days, the way that countries would do it, when they look around and see who's the, who's the big scary guy on the block, the way countries would respond to that is by joining together to balance the power of the potential threat. And anytime you have those kinds of dynamics emerging, it creates all kinds of, of tensions and insecurities that, that lead countries to view each other as, as potent security threats and to respond in ways that, in fact, increase tension rather than, than to decrease tension. In other words, it makes the world more dangerous. Mm-hmm. By contrast, if you see a country that, is, that has this kind of power but says, hey, we are willing to live by and work within the same set of rules as everybody else, no matter whether they are, they are powerful or weak, then that provides a degree of reassurance. It says that the United States is not going to behave like a rogue state, that the United States is not going to go out and just willy-nilly stomp on anybody we choose or respond violently to any any pushback or threat. And that's reassuring. So that's what I mean when I say the United States' willingness to tie its own hands by following the rules of the system that we created, it's, a, it's something that reassures other countries and leads them uh, to not think that we represent an aggressive threat to their own survival. Yeah, yeah. Phil, again, thanks very much for the call. And the questions. Okay, Peter Trimbor, professor of political science at Oakland University. Always great to talk with you about these subjects. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Up next, an impasse between contractors and union workers has halted road projects. And now the contractors say they want to, repi- well, they want to hire replacement workers, better known as scabs. Next, Zach Gorchow, the editor of Gong War News Service, is going to join us to talk about that and other news in Lansing. Stay with us on Detroit Today.